So what's the first thing? It's a great earthquake. Look at verse 12. And I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake. And John first notes that this is far more than any of the quakes that will be increasing during the tribulation. Now remember, it says in Matthew 24 that there are going to be an increasing crescendos in Matthew 24, 7 of earthquakes. And, and we've, we have them. I, I mean, there have been eight on the Richter and higher earthquakes. And, and there's thought that maybe at least once, sometimes, some of the largest quakes may have even been higher than some we've had in modern times. But this one is a mega seismos. This is the first of the cosmic quake events that verses 13 and 14 talk about. And this quake signals not only the six disasters starting in verse 12 through 17, as a, a, and by the way, mega and seismos, mega means big and, or great, and seismos means shaking. So it's a great shaking. Now, it's the earth is shaking, but we see in verses 13 and 14, it's not just the earth, the skies. Everything is shaking in this. This is also, just by itself, the biggest, the strongest, the most powerful quake ever felt by humans on earth. Now, think about it. God says, okay, you've ignored me. You've rejected and killed my son. You've denied that I created everything from nothing as I describe it in the Bible. And so you want to you wanna know if I'm here or not? And he sends this mega seismos. And God jolts humanity awake to his presence that they so long have ignored and denied. Well, secondly, look at the second part of verse 12. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And what John sees reminds him of sackcloth. Now sackcloth, remember, they clothe themselves when they're mourning with sackcloth. But this is, this is black, made from the, the hair of black goats. And so this is, this is very vivid in John's mind. And it portrays the suppression of sunlight by thick, dark clouds during the day. Now, to, to help you understand this, I want, you, I want to read to you from... Uh, uh, incredible hydraulic engineer who's from uh, Virginia Tech uh, in Blacksburg, Virginia, who, who was saved and became a creationist, a, a, a man who was an expert in his own field in the sciences who the Lord got a hold of and he used all that knowledge into creationism. And, and he actually wrote one of the more fascinating commentaries on, on the book of Revelation called The Revelation Record by Henry Morris. But this is what Dr. Morris writes, using his understanding of, of the earth, he says the great earthquake described here for the first time in history is a worldwide quake. We've never had a worldwide earthquake. We've had localized, you know, and, and if you read Drudge, you know, every time there's an earthquake, he always shows a map of the earth and there's a red dot there. And it's just there. It's not everywhere. This one is everywhere. But Morris goes on to say, Seismologists and geophysicists in recent years have learned a great deal about the structure of the earth and about the cause and nature of quakes. The earth's solid crust is traversed with a complex network of faults. Kind of looks like little zipper lines all over that follow these fault lines, if you've ever seen a, uh, a map of the fault lines. Continuing, Morris says, they all rest upon a plastic mantle whose structure is still largely unknown. He's talking about the mantle of the earth. We, even all of our drilling and soundings, we still don't fully understand what's down there. 
He continues, in any case, the vast network of unstable earthquake belts around the world will suddenly begin to slip and fracture on a global basis, and a gigantic earthquake will ensue. This is evidently and naturally accompanied by a tremendous volcanic series of eruptions. Now think about that. The earthquake fault lines open fissures, which allow the, the, the white-hot magma in, within, beneath the, the surface of the earth to erupt in those points. And so that's why it's called the ring of fire, if you notice the earthquake lines, especially around the Pacific Rim. And so tremendous volcanic eruptions spewing vast quantities of dust and steam and gas into the upper atmosphere. It is probably this event that causes the sun to be darkened and to look like someone put black, hairy burlap in the sky, and you can just barely see the sun through that. Well, it doesn't end there. The moon becomes like blood. And it says in verse 12, the third little phrase, and the moon became like blood. And the seismic volcanism of the first jolt of God's wrath leaves a lingering reminder as a global ash cloud obscures and alters weather by the reduction of sunlight and breathable air across the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the whole earth it's like Iceland was a while back when transatlantic flights couldn't go. The whole earth is kind of like they keep having over there in the Philippines when those are in Mexico, when their big ones erupt. Can you imagine the gases, the dust, the ash, the darkness? But one common element in all the Old Testament prophets' description of this same event involves the moon's discoloration. As an ominous reminder of God's wrath, the sun will look like a black sheet has gone in front of it by day, and the moon, like a blood-red sheet, is in front of it at night. In fact, Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 13, verse 10. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Joel adds this, the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now see, the, the day of the Lord is the second coming, but the countdown to the day of the Lord is this event. But it doesn't end there. A fourth element, the stars fall. And the stars of heaven, verse 13 says, fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when shaken by a mighty wind. As if the biggest quake followed by a light obscuring volcanic ash and atmospheric born choking dust weren't enough. Now comes another round of horrifying wrath unleashed by God. In the darkness of the day and the eerie redness of the night come flashes of light through the smoke-filled air. Like mortar shells raining down on a battlefield, God sends cosmic debris with blinding flashes across the sky followed by deafening sonic booms that echo across the entire globe. You say, oh, come on. Well, do you remember Valentine's Day? Or the day after, actually. Do you remember February 15th of this year? Everybody was transfixed by the fireball that streaked across Russia. And the sonic boom that shattered windows for miles was heard and, and went around the earth twice. That was this year. That was one. God sends, in fact, what's interesting is the Greek word here, if you look, 
at the word in verse 13, stars, it's actually the word asteres, A-S-T-E-R-E-S. Asteres refers to anything in the sky other than the sun. That's just how the Greek language is. They have the sun, and anything else in the sky is an asteres, except for the moon. So you have the two we are sure of, and then they weren't sure of all the rest. And some of them moved. Those were the, the planets, the planets. But the ones that kind of stayed there were asterisks. So what's interesting is, this word that's used in verse 13 sounds ominously similar to our English word asteroids. And it's interesting, isn't it nice how NASA cooperates with my preaching schedule? On Friday, while I was in New York, the news said that NASA, the National Aeronautic and Space Administration of the United States, released a catalog for consumption by us normal people of the 1,400 dangerous objects that have a, a path that is going to bring them uncomfortably close to the Earth in the next few years. There are 1,400 asteroids cosmic debris out there. That's amazing. God lets earth dwellers see those up close. When fireballs fill the skies of the entire globe, not just Russia and not just once, it will be like that recent sighting that, that lit up the global news outlets. One flash. Everybody was was watching. I still remember that day. Everybody was, I mean, you couldn't go to anywhere without that being replayed, that and it was showing for everybody's dash cams and security cameras. And they say it wasn't that big of an object. Can you imagine when God unleashes this volley? Only this time, there's no place to hide, no place untouched by the booms, by the crashes, and by the horror of incoming missiles from God. Asteris. Well, it doesn't end there. Next, we see that God has the sky splitting. Look at chapter 6, verse 14. The sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And Jesus promised just this event in Luke 21 and verse 11. He said that there are going to be events in the sky that people would see that would lead them to heart attacks and death. In fact, Jesus put it this way, their hearts would fail them for fear when they see what happens. It's amazing to think. This is probably what John sees when he describes the sky receded like a scroll. When everything above us, the realm of the prince of the power of the air is struck by God, humans are melted with terror. Can you imagine just... Stuff streaking around, and all of a sudden, it's just like the clouds all go, Whoa. and you just, you just say, what else is going to happen? Well, something else happens. Look at verse 14. And every mountain and island is moved out of its place. Now, these are successive. They appear to be all... Uh, in fact, the best way to understand the book of the Revelation and all the, the seals and trumpets and bowls is kind of like going to a 4th of July when there wasn't tax, money, revenue uh, decrease and when they could really have a good fireworks show. And if you remember, you know, they just do a little and nobody pays any attention. It's just little stuff. And all of a sudden, the tempo increases and you know you're getting near the finale. And all of a sudden, there's nothing. 
then there's that and you see the trail going up and then everyone goes and there's this big deal but then from that as the firework begins to make its way down you see this cascading telescoping more and more coming out until finally boom 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 you know and you're hoping you're closer to the car by then so you don't lose your hearing that is very much like the unfolding this is chapter 6 verses 12 through 17 is the boom and then these six are the initial oh but from chapter 7 on it's the boom, 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 boom. And it's hard to think how hard it's going to be for those who are alive. Well, verse 14 at the end, John captures the final event of the sixth seal unleashed. John describes what could only be called a crustal paroxysm. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, everything above sea level, as far as parts of the crust of the earth, all began at the same time to move. What an amazing thought that everything moves around in a spasm as the creator touches the earth. Two pages after the last comment I read by Dr. Morris comes this little paragraph. This is what a hydraulic engineer says, the earth's crust is highly unstable and has been ever since the great flood. It will be disturbed by the impacting asteroids, by the volcanic explosions, and by the worldwide greatest quake of all time. And great segments of the earth's crust will actually begin to slip and slide over earth's deep plastic mantle. Geophysicists for many years have been fascinated with the idea of continental drift. Some such phenomenon may actually be triggered under this judgment of the sixth seal, dwarfing the damage occasioned by the mighty earthquakes of the past. So just think about, you know, the earthquakes that have done massive damage. Can you imagine a big earthquake, the sun, the moon, then the fireballs, and then the sky just rolls back and splits, and then all of a sudden, everything moves. And this is just the beginning. So God enters human events, and as God enters human events in a most visible way, no human ever witnessed God in the act of creation. Few humans witness God in human flesh walking the earth, but all humans will feel the jolt of God. And all humans are terrified. They die of fear. And those who don't flee his face. Now, let's look at what happens. Look at verse 15. Mankind hides. And if you look down in your Bible, this is the result of the opening volley of the tribulation. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, the slave, and every free man hid themselves in the caves and rocks and mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Whoa. It sounds like there are no more atheists left. It says everyone. Isn't that interesting? You know what? This should end the whole show right there. They should drop to their knees and repent. But you know what? Two chapters later, you know what it says? After all this, they would not repent of their fornications, their thefts, their murders, and their drug usage. They love their sin more than the God they don't deny any longer, the true and living God. And they say, 
Fall on us, verse 16. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's an interesting combination. It, sh- it should be like, in our minds, wrath of a lion, but it's a lamb. The wrath of the Lamb of God. Verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Welcome to the worst day ever to come to earth, and God is only starting This is the first third of what God has planned. The seven trumpets and the seven bowls will follow the seventh seal that is the next event. Well, the lesson is the ruler of everything is coming. Jesus is seated in heaven right now at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is interceding for us, his church, right now. When Jesus sat down, it meant that his work of salvation was finished and he was going to watch over all of his promises to us to perform them in and through us. Did you know while those prophecies are slumbering, the promises of God are energized by the Spirit of God to work through us? God says, why? I'm going to destroy everything. Don't, don't spend your life doing anything that's going to be left on earth because I'm going to just destroy it all. Why don't you labor for what can never be destroyed? Why don't you let my promises energize you to live for me? You see the ending. Nothing here is worth investing in. Jesus paid the price. Jesus earned the right to redeem us. He ever lives to intercede for us. He's opened the way to the Father. He's going to prepare a place for us. And our Savior himself is going to rise from the right hand of God Almighty. And Jesus Christ is going to empty heaven of every angel and every saint and come back to finish the plan of God. And as Christ comes, the earth begins to quake. And every human with sin staining their lives instead of repenting begins to crawl for a hole to burrow into the ground. They cry out in fear that will forever consume them as the torments of an angry God begin to fall on them. 